and we speak the name of Jesus, welcoming you, Jesus. The one who is the solution to every need. The one who holds all power and all authority. We speak your name, Jesus, and we welcome you into each one so that, Father, your kingdom might come in each and your will done perfectly in each for your glory, for yours, O God, is the kingdom and yours, O God, is the power and yours, O God, is the glory forever and ever and ever. And it is with confidence that we come in the name of Jesus asking that you, Holy Spirit, would speak to us and teach us this morning. We welcome you. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would stay seated, or stay seated, stay standing. Sorry about that. And at this time, the children from kindergarten through sixth grade would be dismissed for Children's Church with Miss Steph. And if you have a Bible, in honor of God's word, I want to read Psalm 90. So Psalms is in the beginning or in the middle of the Bible. Psalm 90 is where we will be looking today. I want to read Psalm 90, 17 verses, and then we'll work our way through. It's a psalm, only psalm of Moses. A psalm that he wrote during the time of wandering in the desert, a time when they were in deep distress, a time when they were seeing uh, all but two, Joshua and Caleb, die in the desert and before they entered into the promised land. A whole generation perished in the desert except for two. And so Moses is recalling this. This is in book four of the Psalms which was organized in such a way that this was during the time of the exiles in Babylon, and they were feeling the weight of their sin and the punishment that was coming because of their ongoing disobedience. And yet it is an encouragement about the eternal God, the one who is our dwelling place. Psalm 90, verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born or you brought forth the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back to dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night. You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning, though in the morning it springs up new. By evening it's dry and withered. We are consumed by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80 if we have the strength. Yet their span or yet the best of them is but trouble and sorrow. For they quickly pass and we fly away. Who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear that is due you. Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Relent, O Lord, how long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love, that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. 
Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for as many years as we have seen trouble. May your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. May the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. May the Lord add his blessing this morning to the reading of his word. And you may be seated. Thank you, as you have been able to stand for that reading of Scripture. This morning, we continue a series on lifting up our low view of God. We've talked throughout this series about various attributes of God, lifting up our view of God. The higher our view of God, the higher our worship, the higher our hunger, our desperation, our desire for prayer, our willingness to obey not because we have to, but because we stand in awe of him, and why would we not want to? When we have a low view of God, our worship is low, our passion for him is low, we can easily just go off and do our own thing because there's not really an awe and a wonder of him. But the more we understand who he is, the more all of these things are lifted up. And so this study of the various attributes of God um, are... Hope is that we would have this view of God being elevated more and more to, for who he is and that we would stand in awe and wonder and worship of him. Um, using this, uh, the book Knowledge of the Holy by A.W. Tozer as kind of a, a guide on where we're going. So today we talk about the eternity of God. The eternity of God. For a long portion of my life, inter- eternity was something that scared me to death. I would begin to think about things like heaven and heaven being forever and that it would never end and my heart would immediately begin to race. And I would even go to places like despair and the only way I would be able to, to, to get out of that was to stop thinking about it and think about something else. The eternity of God And his placing eternity in the hearts of men is a thought that I could not take. Here's why. Because as humans, we live with such short-sightedness. And so it made eternity something that I just couldn't, couldn't comprehend, that it was overwhelming to me because I had this view of everything in life having an end. And all of a sudden, there's this concept of something that has no end, and I just couldn't handle it. It was just more than I could, I could take. Not because heaven forever was a bad idea. I like that idea. But just I could not get my mind and my heart and my soul around this idea that I was going to exist, and mankind would exist forever and ever and ever and ever and ever without any end. And so eternity because of a short-sightedness view of the world and of life, can put us in that place of fear. But it can also, a short-sightedness view of life can also put us into these places of absolute feelings of being crushed when suffering and hardship comes. Because we view it small. We view it as if everything in all of eternity is weighing on this one moment. (laughs) That's why Paul can say our light and momentary troubles in view of eternity are nothing compared to the surpassing glory of what is to come. But our short-sightedness as human beings 
can cause us to just feel completely overwhelmed by the problems and the difficulties and the sufferings of life. But the eternity of God, if we get a proper high view of God and the eternity of God, and we understand who he is in his eternity, and as Psalm 90 starts, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. If we are able to make him our dwelling place, then there's nothing about eternity that will scare us. We'll actually look forward to it. And there will not be a difficulty that we will face, a trial on this earth that we will not be able to endure as we rest and as we find our strength in him. So God's eternity encourages us. God's eternity comforts us as we recognize him and as we make him our dwelling place. So that's sort of where we're going this morning. So three actions to think about and to to put into practice this morning as we walk through Psalm 90 together, as we think about and then apply as making God our dwelling place in this concept of him as eternal. And so it begins right there. Sermon notes are in your bulletin. There'll be uh, blanks up on the screen if you want to fill those in for extra notes. The first action that we take is to understand that God is eternal. To understand that God is eternal. Again, Moses starts, Lord, you've been our dwelling place throughout all generations. He acknowledges that God has been Israel's dwelling place, Israel's home throughout all generations. From Abraham on to Moses, the people of God were dwelling in him. And this is because God is eternal, he says. Verse 2 says, Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world. God is eternal. From before the time when the mountains existed and the earth was born, God existed. The eternality, the eternalness of God is he has always been. Moses says it this way, From everlasting to everlasting, at the end of verse 2, you are God. Think about that. From everlasting past to everlasting future, God has been and God is and God always will be. He's always existed and he always will. Tozer, in the knowledge of the holy, says it this way. Using this verse in Psalm 90, verse 2. From everlasting to everlasting, thou art God, said Moses in the Spirit. From the vanishing point would be another way to say it, quite in keeping with the words as Moses used them. The mind looks backward in time till the dim past vanishes, then turns and looks into the future till thought and imagination collapse from exhaustion and God is at both points unaffected by either. So here's the eternity of God. If you look back as far as you can conceive in history past and in eternity past, everlasting past, God's there. And if you look forward to eternity future, to everlasting future, God is there and beyond. And where our view diminishes and turns into just a breath, he still goes on. And where the future goes, he still goes on. God's eternity is way, way, way bigger 
then we can begin to get our comprehension around. He has always been, he is, and he will always be. It's the eternity of God. God's eternity requires then the second action, and that is that we would understand that God is outside of time. God is outside of time. In verse 3 and then verses 5 and 6, Moses says this, You turn men back to dust, saying, Return to dust, O sons of men. Verse 5, You sweep men away in the sleep of death. They are like the new grass of the morning. Though in the morning it springs up new, by evening it is dry and withered. While God does not have a beginning... And God does not have an end. We, as human beings, we do. Moses is reminded of this in that we were formed from the dust and to the dust we will return. We have, history-wise, physically, a beginning and an end that is bound by time. This is part of what I... What freaked me out about eternity is everything I know is bound by time. Even the best things have a beginning and an end. And so this is where we are at as human beings. We know things from beginning to end. Our service started at 1030 and our service will end at whatever time. Noon, 10, you know, depend on how long I go. Yeah. But that's, but we know everything is bound by time. We know that you wake up this morning and there's going to be bound by time a time when you lay your head back on the pillow that is the day and so he goes further even to say that we as human beings we're just like this grass that springs up and by the end of the day has withered out that's us bound by time but verse 4 tells us that for a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or like a watch in the night time, which is this created order that God has made, time doesn't affect him. It affects us, we are bound by it, but time is not an effect on God. For God, a thousand years are like a day, or like a watch in the night. And for the Israelites, they were thinking of the day as from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. And the night as from 6 p.m. to 12, or from 6 a.m. the following day. And then they would have watches in the night, four watches, three hours each. So from 6 to 9 p.m. was one watch. From 9 to midnight was another. From midnight to 3 was another watch. And from 3 a.m. to 6 a.m. was the fourth watch of the night. So not only is it a time like a thousand, uh, like a thousand years, like one day, 12 hours, you could say, but it's even just like to God, like a watch in the night, three hours. In other words, what's he saying? He's saying, God, a thousand years is not like a thousand years to us. A day is like a thousand years, or a thousand years are like a watch in the night. Because God is not bound by time, his eternity means that he's outside of it, completely unaffected by it. All right, so I have two that I've asked to help me 
try to illustrate this. C.S. Lewis, Kevin, if you want to, I don't know how we want to do this. We're just going to unroll this thing, okay? So, see, I might have to go this way. All right. All right, so C.S. Lewis makes the illustration of God and his eternity this way. He says, if you were to get paper and you were to extend this paper one after another after another, imagine that is not the beginning of eternity and that is not the end of eternity. It just keeps going and it keeps going. This represents eternity, this long sheet of paper. Time, however... Time has a beginning and it has an end. So here we are. In the face of eternity, here is history. Here is all of time. And where's God at? God is all in this eternity thing. Which means this. God can be at the beginning of time. He can be at the end of time, and he can be right here in the midst where we are, right at this very moment in time, all at the same time. Because God doesn't exist in this where we do. God exists in eternity. So think about this for a minute. We look at this and we say, well, how does God know everything? Here's how he knows everything. Because he's not in this, he's outside of it in eternity. How is God present with us? Isn't he limited by time? No, he's not. He's out here. So he's free just to intersect time at any point because he's outside of space and he is outside of time. This is who God is. He is eternal. He exists, not here where we do. He exists in eternity. That never ends. It has no beginning and it has no end. This is the eternity of God. All right. Thank you. Can we give our um, eternity holders a round of applause? That sounds very heretical. Thank you both. So, So here is God. He sees it all from beginning to end and yet is not bound by any of it. It's an awesome thought, isn't it? I don't know about you, but that causes me just to begin to have this view of God that's way higher, because everything that that we kind of think of God is that he's kind of bound, he's down here moving around and doing his thing down here on earth. He is so much higher, bound not by time, and yet he can move in and out of it because he is the eternal God. And so when you couple that idea of his eternity being outside of it, that he's not bound by it, that he can be at any place in time, at any time, because he's outside of it, if you couple that with the idea that he's our dwelling place, he's our home, whether we recognize it or not, it changes everything in life. And so where we want to 
kind of apply and look into the remaining part of this message is this third action. And that is our response is to make God our dwelling place. He is, but we want to actively make him our dwelling place. Three ways that we can see this. We make God our dwelling place. First, the attitude in which we do it is with humility. With humility. Verses 7 through 12. Verses 7 through 8 first, it says, You sweep men away in the sleep of death. That's verse 5, sorry. We are consumed, verse 7, by your anger and terrified by your indignation. You have set your iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. Verse 11, who knows the power of your anger? For your wrath is as great as the fear do you. Moses, as he is writing in the desert, as he's thinking about the eternity of God as he's seen a whole generation in rebellion against God in their outward sins as well as in their secret sins, he has learned a healthy fear of the Lord because of the ways in which he has seen God deal with their sin. For the exiles who have recovered this psalm and have put it into book four of the Psalms, they are seeing a healthy view of the fear of God. Because they have experienced life in such a way where their ongoing disobedience to God has led them to a third of them dying of famine, besieged by the Babylonians in plague. A third of them dying by the sword of the Babylonians and a third of them being carried off into exile for 70 years to live in Babylon. They have seen and they have come to understand what God is like in his eternity in dealing with sin. Verse 9 says, All our days pass away under your wrath. We finish our years with a moan. The length of our days is 70 years or 80, if we have the strength. Yet their span, or the best of them, is but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. Moses sees the weight of the penalty of sin. And he sees the brevity of human life in comparison to the vast eternity of God. And it really is this stark contrast when, you, when we begin to see it in focus. To the point that he says, even at the best, even at the best of human life, it still is just filled with trouble and sorrow. And it is quickly passing by. Well, that's kind of like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, isn't it? Woe is me. But it's, it's the right position to be. It's the right position to be. Because in light of these realities and in light of the eternity of God in contrast, Moses then humbly asks God in verse 12, Teach us to number our days aright that we may gain a heart of wisdom. See, the fool rushes through life, rushes into sin, completely not thinking about the reality and the brevity and the trouble and the weight of sin and foolishly misunderstands what life is all about. 
If you just think it is to eat, drink, and be merry, to go about and to do your thing, and to, to, that you're the center of all of this, you're going to go off and you're going to miss radically what life is about. But when we understand this eternity of God that goes forever and ever, he has no beginning and he has no end, and we're just, if history is just this, this line in the midst of eternity, and we as individuals are just like grass that is here in the morning and is gone by the end of the day, boy, that really kind of humbles us, doesn't it? That humbles us. And when we see how then God deals with sin when we disobey, that humbles us. That humbles us. And so making God our dwelling place begins from a place of humility, of recognizing our place in God's story. And it makes us then second dependent on his compassion and love. Makes us dependent on his compassion and love. Verses 13 to 14, Moses says, Relent, O Lord. Imagine, he's seen at times 20,000 people being swallowed up into the earth because of their sin in the, in the, in the desert. He's, those in exile are seen Two-thirds of their people die and the rest of them being taken off. The the, the cry is, relent, O Lord. How long will it be? Have compassion on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your unfailing love that we may sing for joy and be glad all our days. Moses... And the exiles are crying out, how long does this have to continue? How long does this trouble have to continue? Relent, Lord. Relent. Have compassion on us. Show us your love. That we may sing for joy. That we may be glad. Paul in Galatians chapter 4 shows us that God is a God of compassion and love in the midst of all of this. In Galatians chapter 4, he's talking about slaves and free and sons and sons and slaves. And he says this in Galatians 4, 4 to 6. But when the time, this is Kairos. This is the exact moment. This is when God is moving. It's the fullness of time. It's a time like when a woman is in labor and birth is coming. It's the fullness of time. It's the time that nine months have have come. And now birth is taking place. The fullness of time had fully come. The eternal God breaking into time. God sent his son born of a woman, born under law, to redeem those under law that we might receive the full rights of sons. Not slaves, but sons and daughters of God. Because you are sons and daughters, God sent the spirit of his son Jesus into our hearts and the spirit who calls out Abba or Daddy Father. Do you see this? Do you see Moses' cry 
being heard? Do you see the cry of the exiles being heard? How long, oh God? And God said, now it's time. The time has fully come. And we live on this side of time in which we see the fullness of what God was doing. We see God bringing his people, Israel, into the promised land. And he needed a people devoted to him. It's why when they were turning to all of these idols in the promised land, that he brought, dis- he brought punishment against their disobedience. Because he needed a people that were going to go into the promised land and be the light for not only him, but for the entire world, for the Gentiles to come to that land. And he needed a people that once they were there were devoted to him that weren't going to turn to idols and weren't going to turn to all different kinds of things. He needed a people that were going to be his fully because he needed a people through which his son would come at the fullness of time to be the one who would redeem all people past in humanity, present, and for all time until time would end. He needed a people who his son could come through. Because he needed his son to be the one to go to the cross that we celebrated last week and last weekend, who bore our sin, who bore all of the wrath of God. Where All this wrath that Moses is talking about, God pours out his wrath against sin upon his son when the sin and the shame and the sickness and the disease and everything that was broken was placed upon his son. And at the cross, the wrath of God was poured out so that his justice would be sacrificed, that everyone who calls upon the name of Jesus that we sang about will be saved. And we experience his love. And we experience his compassion. We sang this morning several times He sees the depths of our hearts and he loves us the same. When we think about that statement in view of the eternity of God, the God who sees all, who knows all, who Moses says he sees our secret sins, the thing that we think no one knows about, but God knows about. He sees the depths of our hearts and he loves us the same so that we might come out of the darkness and so that we might know this God and be dependent on his compassion and love. That's good news, isn't it? That is incredibly good news. Verses 16, 15 and 16 say, Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us. For as many years as we have seen trouble, may your deeds be shown to your servants, your splendor to their children. What's he saying? God, would you redeem all of the suffering, all of the pain, all of the punishment that has come because of our sin? Would you redeem it? And for as many days as we have been under it, May we be under your love and your compassion for as many days. (laughs) And because of the eternity of God, those who are in Christ will forever and ever and ever and ever and ever and ever be under the love and the compassion and the joy and the gladness of our God. 
depend on his love and compassion in Christ, both at the cross when we come to him, but every day depend on his love and his compassion. It is what we will be with forever. Make your dwelling place in God, then lastly, dependent on his favor. May the favor of the Lord our God, some translations say may the beauty, may the beauty or the favor of the Lord our God rest upon us. Establish the work of our hands for us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. Because the eternal God is our dwelling place, the favor of God is upon us. Think about that. The favor of the eternal God is upon those who depend on his love and compassion, who make him their dwelling place, so that all that he has, all that we do, is blessed by him. But it comes from dwelling in him. It comes from dwelling in him. Being dependent, being dependent on him, being dependent on his favor. Because it's the eternal God who does it all. He's the one who establishes the work of our hands. And what we do in Christ will last for eternity. There was a lady who was facing some very difficult circumstances. She had some hard trials. She had some challenges in her life, and she came to a preacher by the name of W.B. Henson, who was a preacher in the late 1800s, early 1900s, at the close of his sermon, and she said, I'm very much afraid that I might fall. And when she says fall, she's not talking about physically falling, but, but falling out of favor with God. And he responded to her this way. He said, well, why don't you do it? And she was a little bit, that wasn't what pastors usually say. So she was very confused, and she said, but preacher, if I fall, where am I going to fall to? And he responded this. He said, you would fall into the everlasting arms of God. He said, I've read in the Bible that his everlasting arms are underneath his children. And you know, I believe that if you fall down upon those everlasting arms, it is sure and certain that you will never fall through them. What's he saying? Notice where Moses started that whole passage. You have been our dwelling place for generations, throughout all generations. How well did they do? How well did... Israel do on living up to their end of the bargain. A whole generation didn't make it into the promised land. How well, once they were in the promised land, and then David, King Saul, and David, and Solomon, and all these lists of kings, how well did they do during that period? Not very well. They had some good times. They had a lot of not so good times. How well did they do getting to the point that they're in Babylon under captivity and exile because of their sin. How well did they do? Not so well. And even when they come back, how well did they do? When Jesus shows up, what are they looking for? 
Are they looking for a savior to deliver them from their sin? No, they want somebody to get the Romans out. How well did they do? Not so well. And then Jesus comes. And how well did he do? The answer is 100% perfect, which is why he was the sacrifice. That was a once-for-all sacrifice. But after that, how has the church done? And how are we doing today? Are we doing perfectly? Are we doing great? The church in America is closing like 2,000 churches a year. How well are we doing? Not so good. Oh Lord, you have been our dwelling place for generations past and generations future because we've done A-OK and you're so happy with us, God, right? No, because he is the eternal God who is outside of history and who has sent his son into history to be our savior and to be our dwelling. His dwelling and our place in dwelling in him is not dependent fully on us. It's dependent fully on him. He has been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And so the eternity of God says, oh God, thank you that you are bigger than just what we see here. Thank you that you have broken in and you have been our home. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. And we want to be people who in humility and in dependence on your love and compassion and on your favor, we want to run to you. Not because we got to get you to be happy with us, but because you've already said, I am your dwelling place throughout all generations. So come home, come in, dwell in, dwell with The gospel can be so much about what you and I have to do. The gospel is about what he has already done and who he is as the eternal God. He is our dwelling place and we just rest in him. We rest in him. He is our dwelling place. And so when it comes to our sin, you see the depths of our hearts and you love us the same. When it comes to our trials and our tribulations, he's present with us. There is nothing in this world that he is not the answer for and that he is not enough. And so we dwell in him. That's why we can just hold these needs and these people before him in intercession, not because he needs us to do something for him, but just we're just bringing and saying, Lord, we're dwelling in you, and we're just saying, Jesus, 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 come. Come have your way. Come do your thing. <laughs> Do what only you can do. Our part is just to hold them. And our part is to dwell. To dwell with humility. To dwell dependent on his compassion, his love, his favor. Making him our dwelling place. For that is where life is. That is where hope is. That is where joy is. As the psalmist said, that is where gladness is. So sometimes, I, sometimes pictures help me, and the picture that I have in my mind is just sitting and resting in his presence at home. I don't know about you, but you probably have a place in your home that's just, this is the place that I can just sit, and I can just be, and I can just rest. And so 
I don't know what that place is for you, but just be there with Jesus for a moment and say, Jesus, you're my dwelling. Father, you're my dwelling place. I rest in you. I come to you. So let's just take a moment and maybe even just picture that. If, if you're a pictures person like me, just sit there with him for a moment. And um, I just want to lead us through a, a quick moment of prayer together. So let's pray. Father, I thank you. As the eternal God, that you have come in the person of Jesus. You've broken into time at the fullness of time to make us your children, sons and daughters. And so Jesus, even in the space that we are right now, would would you allow us to hear from you, to receive from you just sitting in your presence. For you are our dwelling place. You are where we live. You are home now, and you will be home forever. And so Jesus, I believe that in these moments that there are some things that you would just love to speak to some of us about. not because you're after us to condemn us, but to bring us life, to encourage us, to strengthen us. And so Jesus, in a word or a scripture or a picture or thought that would come to mind, would you be free to speak now? Come Holy Spirit to bring the voice of Jesus. Jesus, I thank you that you say to us that you do see the depths of our hearts. You see our open sin and you see our secret sin. And you love us the same. And so Jesus, even as you dealt with the woman at the well and the woman caught in adultery, I I pray that you would even now where you may be speaking about these things, that you would speak in love and compassion to to bring out of the darkness and into the light. And Jesus, where there is there are fears, where there are sadnesses, where there are are real trials and tribulations that we're facing. Jesus, I thank you that you're speaking to us there. You're the one who says, I'm with you in the raging seas. I'm with you as you walk through the fire. And because I'm the eternal God, you will not drown and you will not be burned. Though the trial may be hard, I am with you. And Jesus, you're the one, I believe, who's saying that though there is sorrow and though some are dealing with 
very sad circumstances, that you're the one who lifts us up and you're the one who gives us joy and gladness. And so I pray that you would replace sadness and sorrow with joy and with gladness. Even if the circumstance doesn't change, I pray that you would be the lifter of our heads. That your joy and your mercies would be new every morning. That we would be able to sing as we sometimes have sung in the past, you have made me glad. You have made me glad. Father, may your eternal favor be on your people in the work of their hands for the building of your kingdom here on this earth. For your kingdom will never end. What is done for your kingdom here will endure forever. And so in our daily activities, in the places where we go to work, in the spaces that we interact with people, Father, may there be favor there for your kingdom to come and your work to be done and built for yours is an everlasting kingdom. God, I pray that you would give vision for work, vision for what we put our hands to, that we are a part of your kingdom being built, a kingdom that is an everlasting kingdom. So Father, you're our dwelling place. We rest in you. We receive from you. We come in humility before you, dependent on your love and your compassion and your favor, knowing that in you, we lack no good thing. And so we receive from you this day. You are great. And you are greatly to be praised. Receive our praise now as we sing of your greatness, as we declare of your goodness. In Jesus' name.